Just want to extend my welcome um, to those of you who are new or visiting Gateway. It's great to have you with us. We'd love to chat to you at the end. I just, I just blown away again when we were worshiping of just how good our God is. And uh, it's funny, kind of most of my preach has already been spoken about this morning already, which is God knows and it's in his plan. And I just, just that sense of as we come and exalt him, the presence of God, just deepening our understanding and knowledge of who he is. And it's just so, such a blessing to be part of the people of God and to gather together like this and just to worship him and to exalt him. And we're going to spend some time once I've finished, we're going to spend some more time just exalting him and praising him some more together as God's people. We're going to be declaring his goodness. So we, most of you will know that we are um, about two-thirds of the way through a, a series, a 10-week series leading up to Christmas on worship, which is a very kind of broad and big topic because worship is all of our lives. Our lives are to be a worship offering, a worshipful sacrifice to the living God, to the God of gods and to the King of kings. And so it's really, we're kind of taking this canvas view and say, what does it mean to be worshippers of God? And you know what? It's not primarily about what happens as we gather on a Sunday morning. It's about what happens Monday through Sunday as we come before God in the still and quiet place on a Monday morning when we get up for work. It's about saying, God, I come and worship you. When we've had a long day and we just think, I just want to sit here. It's like, God, I want to come before you. And you know, the, the funny thing is, I, before we had children, I, I used to, I'm not going to overplay it, I used to sometimes get up and pray before work. Um, and then since the kids have been born, it's kind of, sort of nosedived massively, mostly because they get up before I'd even dream about getting up normally. But last week, I just said, kind of last week, I was like, I've been, I've been like, right, I need to, I, I just need to start this again. The kids are starting to sleep a bit better again now. And, uh, and I got up at a bit earlier before the kids, and I just spent half an hour praying before God on a, on a morning. And I can tell you, wow, my whole outlook on the day and my whole outlook on kind of what I was focusing on that day was radically different than it was the day after and the day before when I hadn't got up and worshipped and prayed to my God before. Because I suddenly realized that my day was, get my, I was fixing my gaze upon him first and foremost. And I was saying, God, you're the one that I need to look to today. You're the one that I need to, you're the one I hope in today. You're my focus. You're my gaze. When I go to work, when my kids get up, you're the one I lift to and I focus on this morning. And so I just want to encourage us. This is not just about what it looks like together, although the reality is a people of God that are worshipping Monday through Sunday, when we come together, wow, the power of God will be at work in us, guaranteed. And I just want to say, I said this in the, in the first week, I just want to say, if coming on a Sunday is your only time when you actually come and worship before God, it's probably no wonder that you find it a challenge or a struggle. And my plea to you this morning is come to God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and watch as we come together as the people of God, watch the power and the presence of God rest among people who know him and know they are known by him and know who they are in God and know that our lives are to be spent exalting and worshipping him. I want to just... Um, this morning really is about two things. It's about understanding and growing in knowledge of who God is. And it's about inviting us to come, therefore, and respond to his goodness and his grace. And I just want to start off by reading a, an extensive, but by no means comprehensive, list of the nature and attributes and character of our God. 
And as we do that, what I'm explaining here is the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I just want to pick up biblical phrases and things which explain our God. And I don't necessarily expect you to follow and remember every single one of these lists I say, but what I do imagine is it will cause praise and worship to well up inside of you as you realize the vastness and majesty and expansiveness and creativeness and awesomeness of our God. That's right, so here goes. God is love. He is good. He is merciful and compassionate. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widow. He brings good news to the poor and proclaims liberty to the captives. He is the God of justice. He's the restorer of our souls. He is gracious. He has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. He has reconciled us to God and to one another. He is our mediator and our advocate. He has conquered sin and death. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is holy. He is to be feared, yet he is our friend. He is a consuming fire. He is unlike any other. He is sovereign over all things. His anger lasts a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is our rock, our fortress, and our salvation. He is our strength and our shield and our strong tower. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the bread of life. He's the resurrection. He's he's the light of the world. He's the hope of the world. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the life giver and the life sustainer. He's the creator of all things. He is El Shaddai the Lord God Almighty. He's El Elyon, the Lord God Most High. He's Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Hallelujah. What a God you are. I just want us to understand the, the weight of our God and who he is this morning. I want us to know him. God, I want to pray, would you come and reveal yourself again to us? I think you've already revealed yourself through Christ Jesus. I want to pray, would, you, would we know you more this morning? I want to pray, Lord, would you cause our gaze to be lifted up and fixated on you this morning? Holy Spirit, when you breathe right now, I pray. Breathe on us, Lord. Breathe on us, Lord. Breathe on us. We say we, we're so desperately in need of you, God. We desperately need your spirit again. We just say we want it to be full and filled up and go on being filled with your spirit this morning. Oh God, fix, we fix our eyes on you this morning, our great, big, amazing, majestic God. What a God we serve. What a God that we worship. And my question off the back of all that, is that the God that you know and worship? Is this, do you worship a God like this, or do you worship the God who is that, with all the attributes and the character? And by the way, that was only some of the attributes of God 
And if you go on reading the Bible, you realize there's a whole lot more that we'd have been here till tomorrow morning speaking about the virtues and, and majesty and awesomeness of our God. And the reality is, for many of us, we say, well, we know, yeah, we know God, but we know a bit of him. We, might know, we know him as our judge, but not our defender. We fear him, we don't know him as our friend. We know him as gracious, but not an all-consuming fire, as the judge of all. And the question this morning I want you to live with, I want to resonate in your heart, is do you know this God that I've just described? Do you know what he's really like? Do you spend your life studying and fixating on him and saying, I want to know you more and more. I want to understand more of the character of God. I want to spend my life pursuing the knowledge of God. Proverbs 9 says, the knowledge of God is understanding. If you want to know what life is about, if you want to understand life, know God and spend your life getting to know him and spend time at his feet and reading the Bible and exploring the wonders and the wonders and the wonders and the wonders of our God. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's awesome. You know, and our job as Christians is to spend our lives growing in understanding and knowledge of him. J.I. Packer, who wrote a book called Knowing God, quotes this. He said, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Our aim in studying him is to know him better. Our concern must be to enlarge our relationship, not simply with the study of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. You see, the reality is we're called to know him and to go on knowing him. And yesterday I was, um, I was playing with the kids and Jed was in his cot playing with some soft toys and Ella was combing my hair and being a hairdresser, mostly looking for knits apparently because that's what's going around at school and apparently I haven't got any so I'm, I'm fine. I just think it's just, oh, we, we haven't had it in our household yet. I'm just like, oh, I dread the day. It's just gross. There's something about it that just makes me feel really grossed out. You know, you know when, you start, when, you start, when you hear the word knits, you just suddenly start itching. Just, yeah, everyone's going to start scratching now. <laughs> and um, as we're doing that, I noticed under Jed's cot there was a, a photo album of um, 10 years ago when I, I spent some time in, in India as a 21-year-old, so you know how old I am now, as a 21-year-old, and, and as I was just, we were just looking through the photographs and I was just um, explaining to her a bit about other cultures and the world and where I went to and things like that, I just had this moment, and I, was, I guess I was thinking a lot about this morning, of just realising, man have I grown in knowledge of God from 10 years ago? Man, 10 years ago, I did not really know the vastness and greatness of our God. Age 21, I might have known a bit, but I thought he was my, I thought he was my judge, but I never really realized he was my savior properly. I never grasped the fullness of that. And my prayer is that when I look back age 41, I'll be able to say 10 years ago, wow, I didn't really know God then because I'm growing in knowledge of him even more. And, and my question is, therefore, are you growing in knowledge of God? Can you look back over months or years or decades? Or if you're a new Christian, maybe only a few weeks. Can you say, I am growing in the knowledge of God? I'm growing in understanding his character and his magnitude. I'm growing in understanding of the vastness of him, that he is both our judge and our defender, our friend, and yet to be feared. That he's our saviour 
Are you growing in knowledge of these things? Because our job as Christians is to, is to spend our lives exploring and growing in knowledge of God. And I want to I wanna take us um, for a short bit of time to the book of Job, who I think really helps us understand and unpack what it means to be somebody who knows God and grows in understanding of, of God, if you like. And, and we know we tend to focus on the story of Job from his suffering. We tend to spend quite a lot of time kind of going, Job the sufferer. But, but, but I want to jump right back to Job chapter 1, where the Bible describes Job as the, one of the greatest men in the East, if you like. So Job is living in the early part of the Old Testament story, if you like. And the Bible talks about him being one of the greatest men in the East. He had wealth abundantly. God had blessed him with family. He was, he was healthy. Yet the Bible talks about him being a man who feared God, a man who was upright before God, who, who turned away from evil. And Job chapter 1 talks about, about Job being a man who offered sacrifices daily before God on behalf of him and his family. We've got to remember that he was before Jesus, so he was, he was offering physical sacrifices, almost in essence being the priest, if you like, over his family. Now we have Jesus, who is the great high priest, who has sacrificed himself once and for all. But the picture we see of Job in here is a man who knows what God is like, and therefore when life is fantastic, and when life is going great, he worships his God. And I know in my own life, in my own heart, when things are rosy, and when things are good, the temptation can easily be to start to worship the things that God has provided, rather than worshiping the provider. I start to worship and fix my gaze on whether I've got on, my, on the money or house or family or career. And I, I fix my eyes on those things. Actually, God's saying that I'm the one who is the source of all those things. I'm the one who provided them all in the first place. I'm the one who created you and made you and has redeemed you and loves you and wants to know you. Okay, and, and the thing is, the majority of us in the room this morning would probably say that life is okay right now. Life is quite good right now. And my challenge is, come to him when life is great, because we're called to come to him in all aspects of our life, whether life is great or whether life is in the pits. And Job teaches us that when life is good, it's like, come and be a worshipper. Come and be a worshipper like Job was in the midst of his wealth and his health and when life was fantastic. And then we see Job chapter 2, the tragedy strikes. He loses everything, his family, his wealth, his health. Everything goes, everything goes from being a rosy picture of life to a terrible situation in his life where he loses everything. And what's the response of Job's heart? He's a worshipper. Because he knows his God. Because he knows God is sovereign over all things. Because he knows God is in control. Because he knows that the name of the Lord is to be blessed. He knows that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Therefore, blessed be the name of the Lord. So we see this contrast between life being good and rosy and Job comes and worships because he knows his God. And then we see life being tragic and Job saying, I know God, therefore I'm going to worship him. No matter whether life is good or life is tough. And then we, the, most of the rest of the book of Job is dedicated to this dialogue between Job and his friends. And his friends generally being pretty unhelpful. And they get the rebuke of God at a later stage. And I think there's something to us as Christians to learn. How do we comfort and bring solace to one another when tragedy and, sh and loss strikes as well. But we get the most of the book around this dialogue. And then we get to chapter 38. And God answers Job. And suddenly, Job's knowledge of God changes radically. 
Because he, God has revealed himself to Job, and Job gets a glimpse of the majesty and awe of God. And that's exactly what Paul read from Job this morning. God says to Job, who are you? When I, where were you when I made the heavens and the earth? I am God, and you are not. I am the creator, and you are not. I am in control, and you are not. And Job gets this revelation of who God is. Again, he, his eyes are opened, and his eyes are opened to see what God is really like. And what's the response of Job's heart is to become a worshipper. We see in Job 42, at the end of the book, he's a worshipper. He comes before God and says, God, I know I'm nothing before you. If I repent and I confess and I run towards you. So there's Job years later. We don't, the Bible doesn't really give us a sense of how long Job 1 to Job 42 is. But the point is, from Job 1 and 2 to Job 42, he's grown in knowledge of God. And he's had got the revelation of God. To know God is to have God revealed to us. And you know, we have God revealed to us through Christ Jesus, his son. And the last verse in Job, it says that Job died full of days. And that's exactly the same expression that the Bible uses um, to describe uh, Abraham, Isaac, and David when they die. It talks about them being full of days. And that, the, the Hebrew word there is all about being satisfied and and I don't think the word is just about being physically satisfied in all that they had. I think it's about a deep spiritual satisfaction because they learned to know God. May I, on the day of my death, be able to say I'm full of days because I'm satisfied in God because I've spent my life pursuing and growing in knowledge of him. May it be written on my gravestone, Al, full of days, because I was satisfied in God because I knew him, because I spent my life pursuing him. And that's the challenge for us this morning. That's the question for us this morning. Is do you know God? Not, not this God, but this God. And are you growing in that knowledge of him this morning? Are you pursuing him? Is he the thing that you gaze on day in, day out, Monday through Sunday? And I think that there's this amazing linkage between those who know God and those who come and worship God. Because those who know God know what he's like, therefore they come and worship him. And the more that you come and worship him, the more you're going to know him, which is going to cause more worship. And this is how we grow in knowledge of God. We start off by saying, God, look at who you are. Look at who you are, and I'll come. And he says, I'm going to reveal myself more. You're going to know me more. You're going to know me more as you study the word, as you pray, as you praise me. I'm going to, you're going to know me more and more. And that's going to cause worship to well up inside your heart more and more and more. And Psalm 95, I think, just really helps us to explain this kind of linkage between those who know God and those who come and worship him. So I just want to read it, and I want to pick out a few points from Psalm 95, really before we come back into a time of worship together in awe and adoration of our God. So it says this in Psalm 95, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. 
Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So in this psalm, verse 1 and verse 6 is an invitation that says, Oh, come, let us make noise, let us worship. And the invitation this morning is to come to God. Come to God. The psalmist is writing here, oh, come. Do you know what? Come as you are. God already knows what you're like. And he wants you to come as you are so that you'll be transformed and changed by him. The invitation this morning is very simple, and that's come to the rock of our salvation. Come. That's the thing I want, I want us to resonate and live in our hearts this morning, is to come and worship. And the psalmist expresses different, different ways that we worship in this. At first he says, come, let us make joyful noise to God. And then a few verses later he says, oh, come, let us bow the knee. Because an understanding of who God is means there'll be times when we want to joyfully praise and celebrate and dance around together. And there'll be times when we want to bow the knee before God and say, God, you are majestic and holy. And I want to humble myself before you. The psalmist allows us to express our worship very differently. But the context is, come. Come. Come whether you want to make a joyful noise this morning. Or come whether you want to bow the knee because you're in the middle of sorrow or pain or loss or tragedy. Or come and make a joyful noise because life is great right now. The invitation is global. The invitation is to all of you here this morning. The invitation is to Swindon and to the nations of the world. Oh, come, let us worship this King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the bookend of what the psalmist is writing here. And sandwiched in the middle is this understanding and knowledge of who God is. The reason he can write, oh, come, is because he knows, his, he knows his God. Listen to what he writes here. He writes, the Lord is a great God. He's a king above all the gods. You know, Israel had a tendency to waver and worship other gods. And the psalmist is saying, no, you alone are the God, and you're greater than any other. And it says, in his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and its hands form the dry land. There's a knowledge of who God is. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the God above all other. He's the creator and sustainer and provider of all things. And the response of that is, oh, come, let us worship him. And I think the last verse here as well is really helpful, verse 7, where it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. There's a declaration there of the psalmist that says, He is our God, and we are his sheep. The tendency for all of us is to worship self, and to elevate ourselves to the position of a God, or to elevate the things that God has provided to replace him and to create idols in our hearts. And this psalm reminds us, Psalm 95, verse 7, he is God and we are not, and therefore we're to come to him. Because in him is understanding. In him is truth. And that's the cry this morning. He is God. Get to know him. Spend your life pursuing him by coming and worshipping at the foot of the cross. Now, the invitation this morning is the same no matter what life is like for you right now, no matter where you feel that you are 
right now. If life is great for you right now, the invitation is come. If life is in the pits and you're in the middle of tragedy or sorrow, the invitation is, oh, come, let us worship because we know our God. If you're fearful or afraid, the invitation is, oh, come, let us worship. If you're pursuing righteous living, the invitation is, come and know me more. If you're stuck in sin, the invitation is, come and worship him and watch him transform and shape your life. If you're depressed or in emotional turmoil, if you're physically sick, the invitation this morning is, oh, come, let us worship at the knee. Let's bow our knee towards God. I'm going to finish by playing a song that I came across uh, recently, which really talks about this sense of coming towards God. It really talks about the sense of coming to him and worshipping him. And as after that, Callum and Katie are just going to come and lead us, um, and we're going to sing and praise God together. But as this is being played, I just, um, I just I want you to have a freedom. If you... If anything I've said or the, or what's the words and the song that's spoken, if you feel like you want to just say respond and say, God, I, I want to know you more and I want to come and worship you this morning, please do you have a freedom to stand or to kneel or just to, to, to close your eyes and hold your hands out before your maker and say, God, I want to know you. This is about you and God this morning. I believe God wants to say, I want to, I want to take you deeper in me this morning. I want you to, to deepen your knowledge of God by coming and worshipping him. So can we just play that song and then, and then we'll lead off from there. Sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let the rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your Come as you are 